what determines someone's worth? What if they're young, dependent, inconvenient? Or what if they walk or talk different? Does that change it? they have different color hair or skin? What if this person is anxious or sick or even questioning their own life? Is my life more valuable than theirs? Who determines that? Sunday is always a memorial of uh, Roe versus Wade, the legal case in which the United States Supreme Court ruled on January 22, 1973. Uh, the case involved Jane Roe, a fictional name used to protect the identity of the plaintiff, Norma McCorvey, uh, instituted federal action against Henry Wade, the district attorney of Dallas County, Texas, where Roe resided. The Supreme Court ruled 7-2 to that unduly restrictive state regulation of abortion is unconstitutional as a violation of the, of the right to privacy. Since that time, it is estimated that over 60 million abortions have taken place in the United States of America. 60 million. That's over 20 times the number of individuals killed in all United States wars put together. Uh, many of you have been to the Vietnam War Memorial down in D.C. If there were such a memorial uh, like that to commemorate the lives lost to abortion, it would stretch 50 miles long. Uh, in the state of New Jersey, our state, uh, it's estimated that one-third of all pregnancies end in abortion in the state of New Jersey. There are no restrictions um, in terms of abortion in the state of New Jersey whatsoever. Only God knows fully the heartache of those women who've had to make that choice or the men who fathered those children. Only God knows the loss to our nation in terms of future moms or dads or plumbers or doctors or mechanics or missionaries or laborers, CEOs, teachers or senators who will never see the light of day. And only God knows the disrespect for all human life that is now so much a part of our culture. The ripples of Roe versus Wade do continue to erode the moral beaches of our land. So each year we dedicate a Sunday, an entire Sunday, to addressing this issue at our church to remind ourselves what God says about life. We do this because it is so easy to forget. In fact, it's easier now, I think, more than ever because it's been so long. And many of us have grown weary on this issue, and other passions have replaced this one, but we must not forget this one. Now, for many people, this topic does bring up politics, but we are not looking at this issue strictly from a political point of view today. There are people on both sides of the aisle who come up with different strategies of addressing this issue. Pro-lifers who lean right seek to move uh, towards uh, abortion becoming more illegal. Pro-lifers who lean left seek to make it more unnecessary. I actually think both sides can learn from each other. But we are not here to talk about politics. We are here to talk about the issue of the dignity of the unborn from a scriptural, spiritual, and moral perspective. And so I want to open up the Word of God and show 
some scriptures that relate to these three different topics. First, the dignity of the unborn. Second, the assault on human dignity. And then third, a better and more compelling vision for women, a Christ-centered vision for women. That's a tall order, so before we dig in, why don't we pray today? Lord, we know what the scripture says. We are not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. God, we pray that you would come and fight this battle for us and find us faithful to do our part. Convict us for being complacent. Help us to know the path forward and be merciful to us and to our land, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Before I even begin with point one in the message today, I want to answer this question, and that's this. What does God say to the woman who's had an abortion or to the father who supported an abortion? Can they find forgiveness in the arms of our God? And the answer to that question, ladies and gentlemen, is absolutely yes. There is no sin that's bigger than the cross of Jesus Christ. That's good news because we all fall short, but we also all serve a loving and forgiving God. And our God is not up there uh, in some ivory tower saying, you're a mess and you're a mess and you're a mess and this is what's wrong with you, this is what's wrong with you, and this is what's wrong with you. No, our God is gracious and compassionate, abounding in steadfast love, and he wants to forgive all of those who would reach out to him. And so please understand this message today, which will be firm. It is spoken in the context of God's amazing grace, which is available for anyone today. But furthermore, if that's you, uh, if you've been through those circumstances, did you ever consider that maybe after your experience, God wants to use you now to be a trophy for his grace? Uh, Because after all, our God specializes in using the broken for his glory. If you turn to the scriptures and you look at the Apostle Paul, you'll see that he was a persecutor, but when he was saved by grace, he joined in the cause of God. Look at David. He was an adulterer. Uh, Look at Moses, who killed someone with his bare hands. Just look at what our God can do with people who make mistakes. See, what I've learned is that after God saves someone, he goes a step further and he He puts them into his mighty army of people who will carry his cause and bring light and life and truth and empowers them by his Holy Spirit to reach out to those who are hurting as well. And he turns us into what's called wounded healers. We carry his message to those around us. It's the kind of people that you'll find serving at First Choice Women's Resource Center, which you'll hear about at the end of our message today. So with that said, let me just start with point one, the dignity of the unborn. By way of review, in the first week of this series, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, which you'll see on the screen, and we learned that God is the author of all creation, the heavens and the earth, all plant life, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the animals, and the the apex of God's creation, we learned, was humankind. They were crowned with glory and honor as those who are made in his image and bestowed with dignity. And so the question here is, does this include those who are not yet born, the child in the womb? I believe the answer according to the scriptures is yes. Uh, Look with me at Psalm 139. Uh, David says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
There are many terms that are used to describe the unborn child today, a fetus, an embryo, a blob of tissue. All of them sound kind of cold and dehumanizing. But look at this scripture. God says, no, I created them as human beings. Look carefully at this verse and look at the the usage of the words I and me and my throughout this passage. He says, God created me. He saw me and so on. Uh, The Hebrew word for child used to describe an unborn baby in the womb is the term yaled, which is the same exact word used to describe children outside of the womb. In other words, there's not a separate word in the Bible to describe unborn children. In fact, those categories, those distinctions were not made in ancient times. Only until modern times did we start making that distinction. Even the word fetus is just the Latin word for baby. So scripturally, there's no such thing as a potential child, as the language of Roe versus Wade implies. That's not a biblical category. And here in this passage on the screen, you see that God says, I've planned every day before you were born. Can you see that God is saying here that this is a person inside of the mother, not a blob of tissue? He says here, all my days were numbered before I was even born. Now, if, if all our days were numbered before we were even born, that means he has this unique plan for each child's life, and therefore we could extrapolate that abortion would be the ultimate short-circuiting of God's will. Now, some people say, well, I don't really want to get involved here. I'm just going to stay neutral on this issue. I love how Melody Green, the wife of the late Keith Green, addressed that objection. She said, abortion is not an issue you can remain neutral on. You're either for it or you're against it. What would you do if you were walking down the street and you look up and you saw a woman about to throw her three-month-old baby out the window? Would you turn and walk away saying, well, I wouldn't do that for myself, but I don't want to interfere. It's her decision. No, of course you would intervene. At least I hope you would. The same thing is true here. Now, sometimes people say, you know, pro-lifers, they're just all hypocrites. All they care about is life in the womb, but they don't care about anything that happens after that. Well, considering that we're in a five-week series here on issues of dignity from the womb to the tomb, and considering all of the wonderful Christian organizations, hospitals, and adoption agencies committed to these issues of life, I would take serious issue with that statement. But even if some pro-lifers out there don't get involved in other very important issues of life, it still would not therefore follow that abortion is somehow an acceptable moral reality. That argument does not follow. Have you ever been in the room when a baby was born? It's an incredible experience. I've had that experience three times in my life. It's an awesome thing to watch another life come into this world. You know what I found out as I became a father is that babies, they don't like come in a box like a model car with all kinds of little parts that you have to glue together. No, they come already assembled like with toes and feet and fingers and and hands and cute little noses and round chubby cheeks. They have hearts that pump and lungs that breathe and ears that hear and stomachs that demand to be filled, don't they? It's incredible. And no group of scientists, no matter how intelligent, no matter how sophisticated their equipment, can duplicate what God does in forming a tiny baby in their mother's womb. Every birth is a vivid testimony to the wisdom and power of our heavenly creator, the one who gave us life because life truly is a miracle. Now, some people say, oh, listen, you know, we Christians, we should just be about love. Just focus on the red letters of Jesus and love your neighbor. But brothers and sisters, don't you see that the children in the womb are 
our neighbors? Don't you see that their mothers are our neighbors too, whom we're seeking to love? More on that in point three. How wonderful it was a few years ago when this picture was published in US Today, USA Today of a little child, I believe 21 weeks in development in his mother's womb as fetal surgery is taking place and the surgeon holds up the little baby's hand with his, his, his finger and the whole, whole world saw what God already declared in his word, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Some people say, but you know what? No child should come into this world unwanted. But there is no such thing as an unwanted child in God's eyes. Maybe the parents don't want the child, but God does. God wants that child to live. That's why he allowed that conception. Maybe we didn't plan it, or maybe it came as a result of some evil. But God's word says there are no accidental conceptions. Acts chapter 17 says God actually ordains exactly where and when Every single human being would be born and the boundaries of their habitation, all for his own purposes. And so that choice to end that baby's life is not our choice. That's taking the place of God. Oh, well, the child's going to have a bad life, a life of poverty, and that wouldn't be good for them. But how can you say that that child would have a bad life before they're even born? Out of the millions of aborted children over the past decades, who knows what great purposes of God and what great potential was snuffed out, depriving humankind of such great blessing. Friends, life is never an accident. All life is a gift from God. But yet many people don't feel that life in the womb is worth protecting, which brings us to movement two, the assault on human dignity. The Word of God has clearly prohibited the, the killing of another human being. We find that in places like Genesis chapter 9. God actually declares that to be a work of injustice. It's, it's in one of the Ten Commandments, right? You, you shall not murder. Now, what is murder? In, in your sermon outline in the email that goes out on Saturdays, I defined it as murder is the unjustified killing of a human being with malice or forethought. So here's the question. Is that what abortion is? Is this a human being, a person, a human life? Does an unborn baby in the womb fit into that group of people who have inherent dignity and rights worthy of protection? I believe the answer, according to the Scriptures, is yes. But this is where the debate happens. You hear some people say, well, you know, I'm not really sure. I don't exactly know when life begins exactly. I have my doubts about that. I really don't know. But if you're in doubt... Why would you not err on the side of caution? If I was a construction worker and there's a condemned building over there and I was going to demo that building to build something new in its place, but there's a possibility that somebody was in there, a person, I just don't know. Am I going to blow it up anyway, even though I'm not sure if there's life in there? No, you'd want me to be absolutely sure there wasn't a person in there, wouldn't you? Because if I'm not sure, why wouldn't I err on the side of caution? And so fill in the blank for me here. Would you, it's okay to kill a baby in the womb when? Friends, it's not only God's word that says life begins at conception. Science also tells us that. Here's a quote from Kaluger and Kaluger, a standard textbook on human development. In that fraction of a second, when the chromosomes form pairs, the sex of the new child will be determined, hereditary characteristics received from its parents will be set, and a new life will have begun. In other words, biologically speaking, a fetus is human life from conception. There's even a spark when this occurs. 
If we examine a child's DNA just one moment after conception, we'd be able to forecast the color of her eyes, her personality traits, her height, her mental capacity, and a host of other characteristics. All she needs is care and nurture to develop. So on what basis can we say this is not a human being? What is that threshold and who is to say? We must ask that fundamental question. Is it the right of the mother to end the life of her fetus for any and every reason? Or does the baby have dignity and worth separate from the mother? See, in most cases, most people would agree that their fetus has infinite worth. When? When a pregnant woman wants to give birth. Then our society regards the fetus as so valuable that even if someone were to attack a pregnant woman and kill the fetus, that person can be prosecuted for homicide. Only if a pregnant woman doesn't want to give birth do we then regard the fetus as worthless. Does that make sense? Either a human fetus has dignity and worth or it doesn't. Why does one person, a mother, get to determine this person's dignity? A, a child will get a heartbeat around three weeks old. I'll never forget hearing my children's heartbeat for the very first time. Then at just eight weeks old, the baby is in the womb sucking her thumb. All her organs are present. Her liver is making blood cells already. Her kidneys are cleaning fluid. She begins to respond to sound. She has fingerprints. Can we really say this is a blob of tissue? That just eight weeks, all of those things are true. Friends, almost all abortions happen after eight weeks. Yet still today, ironically, God designed the mother's womb to be the safest place on earth, but in the child's most innocent stage of life, there's a fierce battle raging for the life of this tiny unborn infant, and yet many times a doctor will go in and kill that baby. Maybe back in the 60s and 70s, we didn't have the kind of technology we have today, but nowadays, if you're pregnant, you go in and you get a 3D ultrasound, and you as parents see this human being like looking right back at you on the screen. It's incredible. I'm sorry, but you can't after that say this is just a blob of tissue. You have to concede that it's a baby in the womb. And the sad thing is, many people who advocate for abortion will actually concede that. Now, why would they do that? I'll talk about that later. I want you to memorize this next part because it's easy to remember. What is the difference between a grown human being that we choose to bestow dignity upon and a baby in the womb? It's only one of these four categories which spell out the word sled. What's the difference between that person and the moment of conception and where we all are today? Well, first, they're a different size. Can we really kill a human being because of their size? That's absurd. Level of development... Abortion is okay because these babies are not fully developed, but isn't it true that neither is a one-year-old or a five-year-old? We don't allow killing them then, right? Why not? E, environment. I can kill this child because they are in my womb. The only difference is their location. D, degree of dependence. Yes, I know it's a human being, but it's dependent upon the mother. But what about babies who are still nursing? They're still dependent upon their mother. What would happen if a nursing mother killed her nursing child? Could she go to court and say, Your Honor, I have the right to kill this child. It's still fully dependent upon me. No. Friends, all our kids are dependent. Can we keep it real? My 16-year-old is still dependent upon me, right? It's not logical to say someone has less dignity because they have dependence. 
But what about the elderly? They may have become dependent as well in their life, uh, in their old age. Are they no longer worthy of dignity because of their dependence? We'll talk about them next week. You cannot simply kill another human being because they are dependent. Why? Because the Scripture says they're given inherent dignity and worth from the very beginning as made in the image of God. Listen to this quote from Landrum Shettles, uh, the doctor, the first scientist to succeed at uh, in, in vitro fertilization. He said, the zygote is human life. There is one fact that no one can deny. Human beings begin at conception. So when Roe says what's in the womb is potential human life, that is a lie. This child is not merely potential human life. No, this child is human life. A brief word on IVF as there are some serious ethical issues involved there. First of all, let me just say that the desire to have children should be praised and the issue of infertility is very difficult to walk through, so I say this next part with great compassion. The ideal environment for conception does require a certain context, but outside of that environment, issues can arise, such as there can be more embryos created than can be implanted, and the excess embryos are either destroyed, used for research, or frozen. And in that moment, when you're making those decisions, in the doctor's office, all of it seems so medical and sterile, and you think the doctors have already thought about all of these ethical implications before you, but they're actually depending upon you to think about those ethical implications and think things through. So my encouragement as a pastor is please think carefully through this process and ask those hard questions of yourself prior to pursuing IVF. You say, how do we balance the, the good desire of wanting children while evaluating a technology that can also lead to denying a whole class of persons, embryos, the right to exist. Well, I would agree with Dr. Wayne Grudem, who said the teaching of Scripture presents no moral objection to a married couple using IVF as long as no human embryos are destroyed in the process. Please be careful that your desire to have children does not become an idol upon which you are willing to sacrifice other children. Be prayerful and thoughtful as you make those important decisions because a human fetus is a human being from conception. But even if you don't believe a human fetus is a human being, it still does not therefore follow that the fetus has no dignity, value, or rights. After all, there are many living things that are not human beings that have value, dignity, and rights, such as endangered plants and animals. Now, can I just say I love animals? I grew up with two different family dogs. Sprinkles was more an outside dog, but Susie, our golden retriever, was an inside dog, uh, and she was awesome, so obedient, such a lover of kids. I've had cats and fish. I like to ride horses. I love the zoo. Our family loves going to SeaWorld. I believe God's creation in the animal kingdom is spectacular, but God is clear. None of them are equal to a human being made in his image. But in our society, if you touch a sea turtle egg... You could be fined up to $100,000. I mean, that's what we say, right? Don't mess with the sea turtle eggs. You turn on the TV and you hear Sarah McLaughlin with these dogs that are mistreated singing her song about these dogs and you feel so bad for these dogs. And I love dogs. But what is with the double standard? 
How come we're not more upset about over 60 million babies that are aborted since 1973? That's totally legal. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. So what can one person do, Pastor Dave? I, you know, we need the whole society to agree on this. One person can't really make a difference, but maybe society is just made up of individuals who say, I'm going to do the right thing anyway, even if I have to stand alone. But brothers and sisters, you're not alone. There's a new polling data out there among young people from Marist University that shows one of the biggest shifts in pro-life history. In the state of New York, there's been a substantial double-digit shift, according to this poll. Americans are now as likely to identify as pro-life, 47%, as pro-choice, 47%. The shift was led by those under 45 years old in the wake of efforts in several states to legalize abortion up until birth. So let me just say to you young people out there today or just watching online, I'm really encouraged by your generation. I hope that you'll continue down this direction because there's some awesome potential you have on this issue. Friends, God is clear. He wants his people to protect human life and any assault on human dignity, which leads us to the third movement, a better vision for supporting the dignity of women, a Christ-centered vision for the dignity of women. More and more abortion rights activists are realizing that it's not enough to say abortion is not bad. They have now recast abortion as something that's good. Last month in Argentina, you probably saw in the news that they legalized abortion. There was so much celebration in the streets about this decision. Abortion is now seen as something courageous, something that brings positive impact to society through reduced crime, economic benefit, or freeing women to enter into the workplace unencumbered. This whole way of thinking reminds me of the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. But this mindset led recently to this trending hashtag, shout my abortion, as women throughout our country bragged online about their decision, desperately seeking to remove any stigma from this choice. That's why the most common argument for abortion today is something like, well, this issue has to deal with women's rights, a woman's health, it's a woman's body, it's her right to choose to do whatever she wants inside of her body, which is true. The problem is the human being inside of her body is not her body. The baby resides inside her body. That's why no one asks a pregnant woman, how's your body, when asking about her pregnancy. Instead, we ask, how's your baby? Why? Because they are separate. Author Charmaine Yoast writes in her article, quote, abortion is not a tonsillectomy. It is not an appendectomy. The church must fully realize this truth and engage with it because a real death of a living human being has moral weight and spiritual consequences. This is a spiritual issue, which requires, I think, a spiritual solution. Why do those who advocate for abortion uh, even do so knowing that it's a human being? The reason is because there's a problem underneath of the problem. The vast majority of abortions, 98%, are not because of 
hard case issues like rape, incest, or the life of the mother. For the most part, the vast majority of abortions are performed because of personal convenience. Now, make no mistake, this is a men's issue just as much as it is a woman's issue. For every unwanted pregnancy, there is a dad who needs to be challenged to do the right thing for his own sake as much as for his new families. Personally, I believe the passivity and irresponsibility and immorality of men is actually the root cause of this whole problem. More on that in another sermon. The issue here is not protecting women. The issue here is for both men and women that they are engaging in a spiritual kind of idolatry. There's the idol of personal convenience, the idol of sexual freedom, and the idol of personal autonomy. And all idols disappoint us. All idols require a sacrifice. And all idols must be torn down before the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. People say, we want to protect women women's health and reproductive freedom and ensure that the government should not intrude on our most private family matters. To which John Piper rightly said, no, you are not protecting women. You are authorizing the destruction of 500,000 little women every year. No, you are not protecting reproductive freedom. You are authorizing the destruction of freedom for one million little human beings every year. No, killing our children is killing our children, no matter how many times you call it a private family matter. You may say it is a private family matter over and over and over, and still they are dead. Which leads me to ask this fundamental question. Is abortion really pro-women? Even when there are so many medical, physical, and psychological risks associated with abortion, all listed on the Planned Parenthood website. Isn't there a better vision for women than the one our society is holding up? The answer and I humbly say this as a man, the answer I believe is yes. Abby Johnson, whose compelling story is featured in the excellent film Unplanned, has a whole section on her website about a new kind of feminism that doesn't exploit women, that empowers women, and magnifies the beauty of motherhood and no longer looks down on a mom who would stay home with her children. The reason why there are differences in the answers to these questions about the dignity of the unborn is because underneath the surface of these questions is another question. Where is joy and freedom and human flourishing really found? Friends, the Bible is after your joy. God is after your joy. But there is a pattern to the universe as to where joy is found. It's never going to be found in going against the grain of how you were created by the creator himself. Biblically speaking, ladies, the path out of shame is not to go shout your abortion. The path out of shame comes through confession and repentance and trust in Christ and the gospel. Take a look at this phrase that we hear so often as a mantra again and again and again. This is my body. This is what we hear from women. My body. 
my choice. Keep away from my uterus. This is my body. Every time I hear those words, I think of how those same words were spoken by someone else in a very different manner. But when he spoke them, he was referring to the greatest act of love and self-sacrifice this world has ever known. The Lord Jesus came and the night before he was betrayed, he said, I'm about to show you what true love looks like. When this world in all of its self-centeredness says, you give your life for me, Jesus says, I'm going to say the exact opposite. I am going to give my life for you. And then he turns to you and to me and he says, there's a better way. Follow me. This is the way of the Lord Jesus. This is not only a better vision for true womanhood, it's also a vision for manhood. It is the vision for the church to come alongside of these women as well. It is the vision of love and support and self-sacrifice. Time and again, when women are asked, what would you have needed in order to finish your pregnancy? Over and over and over, they say this, I needed just one person to stand by me. Friends, of all the things you can do, the one thing that you must do is to be that one. So yes, we need to speak up for the unborn. Yes, but as a church, we also need to be those who wrap our arm around a scared young woman's shoulder who feels like there is no way out for her. And we need to say to her, we love you. It's okay. We're going to be there together with you through this. We're going to be there for you every step of the way. And if we do that, the church of Jesus Christ will be very, very different. The world sees that those on the far right, far right just care about the baby. And the world sees that those on the far left just care about the mother. But as followers of the Lord Jesus, we must take the best of both sides and care about them both. And then the Lord Jesus will look down from heaven at his church doing this, and he will say, this is my body. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for the clarity of your word. Help us, God, to be your hands and your feet in this battle. We pray that you would give us opportunities to love and to sacrifice and to look and to model you for a watching world. Find us faithful in our time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.